Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. If you're new, children are now dismissed to Children's Church. Welcome to our guests this morning. And if you are joining us for the first time, thank you so much for being here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Please come back and hear Rob Rexilius. He's teaching, taking us through uh, the book of Colossians verse by verse. So please join us next week for that. And I just would like to take some time today and just behold our God. So I'm going to start with a conversation. And I know we typically don't do that. And I would love for this to be engaging and back and forth. So go with me. Um, if you were tasked to stand up here this morning and to speak on evangelism, what passage would you use? I love this to be interactive, and, and what's the very first verse that comes to mind? There's no competition here. There's no right or wrong. Uh, who's willing to share? If you were tasked to speak on evangelism this morning from this pulpit, what verse would you use? Let's hear it. Matthew 28. We already heard it this morning. Great, great commission. What else was there? John 3.16. Okay, for God so loved the world. He's the only begotten son. Whoever believes in him. Right, you should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes. Go for it, brother. Amen. Hey. Bro, hey, you want to come on? Come on. There was one behind you. Yes, ma'am. Ooh, I, I didn't even think that route. The Ten Commandments to show a need for a holy God, okay, for the holy God standard that we need to be holy, we need a holy Savior, amen. Good, anybody else got one? Acts 1.8, yes, okay, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, amen. Anybody else, upper deck? Go for it. Always prepared, but do it with gentleness and respect. Amen. Amen. So, anything stewing up there? No? Got it? Man, praise the Lord. I think that we have, yeah, in the back. Yes, sir. Amen. There's a ton of gifts there for the building up the body of Christ, for doing the work of the ministry. Okay. Man, praise the Lord, right? I also thought about Romans 1.16. I'm unashamed. I'm unashamed of the gospel, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, right? I resolved to know nothing else than Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't come with plausible words of wisdom, but I came to you with Jesus Christ and him crucified so that your faith would not rest upon me, but the power of God. 1 Corinthians 9.16. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. May I be damned. May there be judgment if I don't preach the gospel. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, praying at all times. This is right after right, the armor of God. You thinking about the battle royale? Here it is, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To the end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, Paul, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may... Declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I mean, this dude, are you kidding me? Savage. But still was asking, would you pray for my boldness? Do we, do we ask people to pray for our boldness with the gospel? 
First Thessalonians 2.8, this is something that has become more dear to me over time. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Why does that man cry up here so much? Man, he loves you. Do we love people like that? Not just sharing, hey, I'm going to drop some knowledge on you, but here's my life too. Do we do that? 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, is there a multiplicational factor in your evangelism? Entrusting to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. Are you targeting strategic leaders in your life that if, maybe, just maybe, God would redeem them, that they would be put on mission, and that would be a strategic influence? Why did Paul go into synagogues? He went to the leaders. When he went to a new city, he was, he was talking to the lead dogs. Who are those lead dogs in your life? And Jude 3, it's the middle of it, it's not the whole thing. But Jude 3, four words, contend for the faith. Are you going to put the boxing gloves on and, and be willing to go to battle on behalf of Christ for the glory of the gospel? Sometimes you got to say this is what the gospel is. But other times you say, this is what the gospel is not. Are you willing to do both? Because sometimes that's going to get messy. I think of Colossians. Pastor Rob's been taking us through the book of Colossians. If you look ahead, Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, similar prayer like the book of Ephesians, says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Clarity with the gospel. And then shortly thereafter, charging the church, he says, now walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. When I think of this church body, First Street Bible Church, I think of a group of people that are passionate about gospel clarity and centrality. I do. I mean, this does never happen. We never have a conversation here. But you guys piped up real quick and had some great gospel-centered text to go with. Praise be to God. That's who I think First Street Bible to be. That's awesome. I think we even have two individuals looking at the church directory uh, who bear the name Evangeline. Okay, Evangeline Wismer, Evangeline Tid, better known as Eva. Okay, which means bearer of good news in Greek or gospel in Latin. You don't have parents that name you that if that wasn't something important to them. At one time, a church in Omaha was requiring individuals to be able to share the gospel in 60 seconds or less to even be a member of their church. God, man, Christ response. The holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, the substitute of Christ, and our response of repentance and belief. God is perfect, demanding perfection. We are imperfect. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us to pay the penalty of our sin and to rise again victoriously to prove that that payment was in full. And now, if you repent and believe, you get God. I think you could do that. I think this church could crush that. And we could add that to the membership qualifications and we would not lose an individual. I think there's that kind of gospel clarity in this church. Praise be to God. All of that said, would you describe yourself as evangelistic? Would you describe yourself as evangelistic? Does it mark your life? 
Is that a reality that sets you apart? Pause for a moment and try to put a genuine timeline to this question for you personally. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? About a month ago, by God's grace, I was in a conversation with a coach at a local high school through FCA, and the Holy Spirit just gave me that question, hadn't asked that question in a long, long time, and just posed it. And he, you know, kind of danced a little bit, and, you know, we went on our merry way, and, and a week and a half later, he saw me at another event, and he pulled me aside. He said, I don't know if that's what you were trying to do, but your question was super convicting, and I lied straight through my teeth. I've not shared the gospel with one of my athletes for years, and this is a guy that's known for being a Christian. I said, Coach, praise be to God for the Holy Spirit working in you and your willingness to respond. So what are you going to do about it? And so uh, two Saturdays ago, after practice, he offered an optional FCA in the weight room after practice and just was going to share his testimony, share the gospel with his team. Heard that Coach Osborne did that once a year. He thought if he could do it, I could do it. And he went ahead and made the invite, went over to the weight room, waited a little bit, and one young man showed up. The coach was devastated, and I was elated. I said, God looks at your heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You're obedient. He wants to just be faithful. You can't control the fruit. Praise be to God. And then we started to talk more and to think, well, you remember how the disciples, they fished all night, caught nothing. Next morning, throw on the other side of the boat. You never know, coach. Why don't we swing away again? So just yesterday, he swung away again. And it was three. It wasn't the whole team. It wasn't 200 athletes that could have been there, but it was three. Praise be to God for that. That is awesome. I pose the same question to you. When's the last time that you shared the gospel with someone? Is that how people would then describe our church? First Street Bible Church, First and Street, Lincoln, Nebraska. Is that how people would describe this church body? Think of those that you sit next to every single week. Those that you do life with in your small group. Those that you hang out with beyond this building. How often do evangelism conversations come up? Either to celebrate, praise be to God, look at this. Or to ask questions, hey, what would you do with this? I got stuck. Or to ask for prayer. You know what? I was in a conversation. I really need you to be praying for me and for that individual. How often do those conversations come up in this church body? For the rest of this morning, I want to take a look at the early church and see if we can glean any motivation. Because again, I think that we are chock full with gospel clarity and centrality. I don't want to assume that every person in this building is born again. If you are not, we're going to have a conversation as we go along here. If you yourself have never repented of your sins and believed upon Christ, let's talk. If you don't know, let's talk. Talk to me. Catch me after grab the person that invited you, let's talk. So there's a ton of gospel clarity and centrality, though, in this room. By God's grace, by the end of the morning, I pray that we find a little more motivation, some practical how-tos by looking at the local church there in the first century. So if you would, in the Pew Bibles in front of you, page 906, Red Pew Bible, this is John chapter 20. I want to take us on a, a little journey. John chapter 20, again, page 906 in the Pew Bible. Pastor Rob had us in this text on Easter Sunday, and it's the upper room. It's an incredibly um, telling moment of weakness for the disciples. 
right? The fully God, fully man, Jesus had already come to this earth, lived the perfect life, fulfilling the law, and died on the cross to satisfy the judgment of God against the sin of all who would repent and believe. This had already happened, yet he had been laid up in the tomb, and his disciples were in utter, utter despair. So in John chapter 20, at the beginning of verse 19, uh, we read, John 20, 19, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Pause. Descriptors. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Think about this group. It's not the highly touted recruits. It's not your natural spiritual leaders. Not the ones who come from the right part of town or with the right last name. In fact, many of these were previously haters of God and haters of people. You think about how few friends the tax collector had previous to this. In the same breath, though, these are the same ones that God chose. Hand-selected, pursued, called by name, and they left everything to follow Jesus. Jesus did life and ministry with them for three years. They had heard the teachings. They had seen the miracles. They had personally been discipled by the greatest disciple maker of all time. They were so convinced of what was to come that they were arguing amongst themselves on who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This was that group. And yet, they were still frozen in fear. If the Jews could crucify their Lord, what could the Jews do to them? They didn't want to get caught in the fray. I'm guessing neither would we. As a result, they were going to do their very best to protect themselves from death with a door and a deadbolt. Even though earlier in the ministry, Jesus had already said to them in Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, Jews, but rather fear him, God himself, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. They were not fearing God and God alone. They were fearing man and what could be done to them. This frozen in fear moment is even after Peter and John had seen the empty tomb and reported back. They reported back to the rest of the disciples what they had found. Mary Magdalene herself had seen the empty tomb, interacted with two angels, and even interacted with the resurrected Christ, reported this back to the team. Yet, they're frozen in fear. So, what, what did God do with this fledgling band of brothers? Let's go on. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You've already heard it this morning. I'll read it again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the city they were in, and all Judea and Samaria, the surrounding region, and to the ends of the earth. Wait, who? Us? Where? How? I'm sure they were asking serious questions. Remember Matthew 28? He promised that he would be with them to the end of the age. What a promise. And here it is. Jesus will be with them through the Holy Spirit and dwelling inside them. And now Christ is casting vision to this reality that in God in them will not only change their city and their surrounding region, but in fact, the world. So Acts 1, verse 14. I'm going to jump a little bit, so stay with me. We're going to try to glean here some motivation how-tos on this journey through the first part of Acts. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. When overwhelmed by a task, this is the only right response for a Christian. When overwhelmed by a task, this is the only right response as a Christian. Talking to God about people before talking to people about God. You also see this later on in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Don't turn there, but... He continues to um, speak. They, they asked for boldness. They were praying. Would we continue to speak God's word with all boldness? So on into Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterances. So you have the Holy Spirit now here dwelling inside everyone who will repent of their sins and believe upon Christ. He is God in them. Christ himself is in his glorified body. He was going to go to the right hand of God, still is there to this day. Praise be to God. He's ruling and reigning, but now the Holy Spirit is in us. Okay? Do we depend upon him as if he is true, as if he is real, as if he can change now? This is true, right? So this Acts 2 moment, that was a moment in time. It's also a moment in time for every single person at the moment when they repent and believe. The Holy Spirit indwells them. This is the same reality. Praise be to God. Acts chapter 2, verse 21, as the chapter continues on, we see then Peter, filled by the Holy Spirit, faithfully preaching the gospel. How did he do it? He used the Bible. Imagine that. He used the Bible, and then he got to Jesus. Are we able to correctly handle the word of truth using the Bible to get to Jesus to be able to share the gospel? Let's see what, is, what happens in then verse 21. He comes direct at it. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is the punctuation at the end of that sentence? period. There's no question mark. There's no maybe. It's not you know, gambling. It is a guaranteed promise. If you call in the name of the Lord, you will be saved, period. Praise be to God. So to the other world religions that try to say, call in the name of the Lord and then go work for it. Put that in a recipe and it's going to come out great. No, it doesn't. That's not, what this, that's not what the verse says. It's faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, period. I know those are fighting words in some churches, in this city, across the country, across the world. But this is what the Bible says. Go on down to verse 41. Chapter 2, verse 41 says, So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Can we say amen? It's starting to build momentum. This fledgling band of brothers are you kidding me? Who? What? Where? How? Why? And now they see 3,000? Are you kidding me? That's got to be encouraging. Praise be to God. Starting to build some momentum. Chapter 4, let's jump a little bit. Chapter 4 then, verse 13. Four thirteen says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Is that how people describe you? Is it obvious you've been with Jesus? Or do you let the uneducated and common prevent you from being bold? I've never been to seminary. 
I don't, I don't know enough. Uh, I'm not an elder. I'm just, I'm just not ready. These are, these are two things that Robbie Trent faces. They're excuses that I'm making. I don't know if you're making them. I know that I do. Okay? So maybe you can relate with me. Maybe you can't. But also, they're lies from the pit of hell. The evil one wants to keep you quiet. And so he's going to get you to think on, dwell on those excuses and lies. And if we genuinely know Jesus and have spent time with him, though, we will have incredible humility, confidence, joy, and love to be bold like Peter and John. Continuing on, Acts chapter 4, verse 20. <laughs> when charged by the Jewish council to not speak or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. No, no. No one slap the wrist. And if you do it again, right? Parenting 101. Okay. They're, they're trying to paint them into a corner, keep them quiet. Let's see, let's see what happens. Verse 20. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I'm sorry. We just can't not talk about what we've seen and heard. Sorry, not sorry. Is what Christ has done and is doing in your life so overwhelming that you can't not talk about it? Think about that. It is a miracle anytime somebody is born again. Death to life, stone to flesh, darkness to light. That is a miracle. If you're thinking, hey, I wish I had like a death row, you know, inmate type testimony. That was me. I was sitting in your shoes and like they brought in people sharing testimony in my church. I'm like, Dad, I wish I had a testimony like that. I said, no, you don't. It is a miracle anytime that any of us are saved. We all are haters of God. And he can bring us to be a friend of God? You got something to talk about. Or have you forgotten the joy of your salvation? Or does the world simply entertain you more? As a result, you're more apt to talk about the challenges that your family faces. Maybe the recent drama at work. The latest sporting event that you attended. I know Husker spring game, red-white game just yesterday. How many people talked about this morning? Most recent movie or show you've watched. Maybe a funny video that you saw. High school boys, I've seen you downstairs. What do you share on your phones? Check this out. You see this? Been there, done that. Guilty as charged. Ladies, you're not off the hook. Maybe a d delicious recipe you're cooked. You have got to taste this. A ridiculous political agenda that you've heard. Maybe a juicy conversation you had that you're like, I got to offload this to somebody. Or maybe, just maybe, you don't even know Jesus personally. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. They lived in sacrificial unity. 
among and for each other. Among and for each other. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 35. Is this visible in you? Is this visible in us? Acts 5, 29. I realize I'm jumping some sections, so you can blast me afterwards, but let's go. Chapter 5, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Round two, Jewish council said, hush, hush now, stay quiet. Don't be speaking in this name of Jesus. Don't be telling people about this Lord of yours. Just be quiet. I'm sorry, I've got to obey God rather than men. In the face of persecution, they desired to please God and God alone. Do you? Or, as so happens in my mind and heart too often, are you bought off by the approval of man? I get to win the room here, so I, I, I may not bring up Jesus. Because if I bring up Jesus, I may lose that crowd. This resolve led then in Acts 5, 42, so that every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ, that Christ is Jesus. This long-awaited Messiah, the only Savior, the only way to God, he is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That man is Jesus. They couldn't help, man. They were teaching, but they were also going house to house. I've seen you doing some door-to-door evangelism when we did the uh, caroling, Mr. Stanley. Man, you were taking notes and saying, hey, this guy and this, this follow-up conversation we need to have, are we willing to get outside of our comfort zone and go knock some doors in people's lives? Man, far too often, the approval of man shuts me up. Jump over to Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We're looking for some table servers. Okay? Table servers. Who, who, I mean, when you're looking on, on a sign-up genius, what's, what's, who's, who are those people? Man, I just want to be in the kitchen. I just want to clean up, man. Get me out of the limelight. I want to be in the shadows. Okay? They're looking for some people like that. Okay? But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, And Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Wow, praise be to God. How cool is that to see a team function? That's awesome. Okay, there's many roles. Yet, are you willing to die to self for the cause of Christ? You may have your own skill set, desires, wants, you think, if I could serve like this, but only like this, then I will serve. Or are you willing to say whatever the team needs? I'm sure Stephen and the others had aspirations of doing more than just simply 
serving tables. Yet, they loved. They loved the way that Jesus had loved them, which is sacrificial. So, let's take a look at one final glimpse of how God then used this type of, of leader on the team. Stephen was serving faithfully as a table server, was seized, boldly proclaiming the gospel before the Jewish council, and then this account. So flip over to Acts 7, verse 54. You may see now where I'm going. Acts 7, 54 says this, Now when they, the Jewish council, heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. This table server wouldn't keep his mouth shut. This table server wouldn't keep his mouth shut. His boldness with the gospel got him in trouble. Yet, Christ was glorified. Jesus, typically in scripture, is described as seated at the right hand of God. Not this time. What do we see? Because of Stephen's love, devotion, and worship, Christ gives him a standing ovation. Amazing moment to see Christ high and lifted up, but also the affirmation of one of his own. Do you see yourself as a member of the body of Christ that's not the mouth? What you interpret to mean that you don't have to speak? I'm an elbow, I'm a knee, important for movement. I'm hands, I'm feet. I'm not the mouth. So I'm just going to keep here peace and quiet. Well, bad news bears. God calls every Christian to carry out the Great Commission. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We must open our mouth to share the word of Christ. Reminds me of a line in the Casting Crown song entitled, Nobody, I'm just a nobody, telling everybody about a somebody who saved my soul. You may not be remembered for anything, and that's okay. But may you represent our King. May you open your mouth. So then what happens? What happens as a result of Stephen being stoned as the first martyr? Let's keep picking it up. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Acts 8, 1 says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. 
he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Praise be to God. Persecution arose. Christians were scattered. Remember Acts 1-8? Where'd they start? City of Jerusalem. Then region, Judea, Samaria. Where were they forced out to? Oh, interesting. Phase two of the plan. And what did they do? They preached the word as they went. That's awesome. Man, we should celebrate that. That's amazing. So what, what exactly happened, though, in that upper room? How do we get to this incredible moment of boldness by a man who was serving tables, he couldn't keep his mouth shut, was stoned to death, and then the gospel advances into the surrounding region. How, what, what in the world happened? So ever so briefly, let's go back to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Starting in verse 19, we'll go 19 to 22. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. We've been there, now let's go forward. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. What happened in that upper room? They interacted with the resurrected Christ. That changes everything. If he is not raised from the dead, we are the most to be pitied. But he's alive. Praise be to God. They interacted with the resurrected Christ. Despite their door and deadbolt strategy. He stood amongst them. Three times over in this section, verse 19, verse 21, and even later on in 26, peace be with you. Amidst their fear, remember fear of the Jews, amidst their fear, shalom. The prince of peace himself is with them. Think of the benediction that Pastor Rob very intentionally stares at each of us. At the end of most Sundays, Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26, says the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This was the blessing that Moses bestowed upon Aaron as his sons right before they consecrated the tabernacle. Think of that dwelling place between God and man. Peace be with you. Now Jesus is resurrected, fully prepared to tabernacle with these 11 forever. Never once hindered by death. He's overcome the grave. He is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's tabernacle with our king. No longer does our sin now create hostility between us and God. In his grace alone, now we can find peace with God. So, how could that door and deadbolt stop him if death could not hold him? What door and deadbolt are you currently hiding behind? 
your source of security. It's what you put your confidence in. What you think may gain you right standing before God, what you think may gain you right standing before men, what is that? Because he can blow the doors off that. He's alive. Do you understand that Christ's resurrection defeated death forever? John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have already overcome the world. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled the law, pleasing God's standard of perfection in a way that you and I never will be able to on our own. He became sin, having all of our rebellion, apathy toward God, and hatred of God credited to him. Now, Jesus not only tasted death by drinking it in and being drowned by it, but he overcame it in his resurrection. Now, in our repentance and belief, turning from trusting in self and trusting in Christ alone, there is nothing that could separate us from the love of Christ. Praise be to God. Verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side. Ben Blowers, there's evidence, right? Evidence of the resurrection. Evidence that in the flesh, there's proof of death, but also proof of life after death. Verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Think about the context. John chapter 20. He'd been in the room just a few minutes. And what does he say? As the Father has sent me, he's appealing to authority. God the Father, my daddy, sent me. And if I listen and obey, you ought to as well. So I am sending you. It's an immediate call to action. It's a reminiscent, I think, of the previous times that he sent them out. You got Mark 6, when the 12 were sent out two by two. You got Luke 10, when the 72 were sent out two by two. Guess what? Practice is over. It's game time. You could argue, sure, they're, they're third-year seminary grads at this point because of their time with Jesus over the last three years. Yet, this brand-new resurrection reality they had never experienced. They weren't instructed to go hole up and prepare for days, weeks, months, years to learn and grow before they opened their mouth. In light of the authority of God, they were sent right then, right there. So how many of us, again, get stuck in, I'm not ready yet. I need to learn more. If you have repented of your sin and believed upon the resurrected Christ alone for your salvation, guess what? You are saved and you are sent. You are saved and you are sent. Verse 22, they receive the Holy Spirit. This is the third man of the Trinity, not bound by time and space, and he indwells, he's living inside of every believer. He seals you, three S's, check it out, seals you for salvation, sanctifies you to make you more like Jesus, and shows God to the world through bearing fruit in your life. He seals you, sanctifies you, and shows God to the world through you. What happened in the upper room? They came face to face with the resurrected Christ. Have you? Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Savior? What does that mean to come face to face with the resurrected Christ here in 2023? Matthew 7 gives us a little insight. Matthew 7, 22 and 23. On that day, 
Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Interesting, knowing. Mr. Stanley, you had something to say about that? It's about knowing Jesus. This is saying, you can do a lot of things for Jesus and not know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? John 17, 3 John 17, 3 says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. If you see Jesus in his finished work and reject him, you will know him as your just judge. He's not just going to wipe things under the rug. If this describes you or you're unsure, again, please catch me or someone else that invited you afterwards because that's the most important reality in all the world. Yet, if you see Jesus in his finished work and you trust him, rather than reject, you trust him, he's not going to be your just judge. He's going to be your justifier. He's going to be your savior. He's going to be your master. He's going to be your Lord. He's affording you a personal relationship with God now and forever. May we aim to know this Jesus more and more each day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. If you come face to face with the resurrected Christ and know him through faith, I think you're going to reflect it. Do you? Does this church? May we be people, as we glean from, close down from Acts, may we be people who are prayerful, Holy Spirit-led, Ones who faithfully preach the gospel, you have to open your mouth. But then seeing lives changed. You can't control the fruit, but if we scatter enough seed by God's grace, there's going to be some fruit. Is it obvious that you've been with Jesus? Do you selflessly serve the team in whatever role God calls you to? Even it's servant tables. And does that describe us to be sacrificing for the glory of God? to the point where Stephen was willing to give up his own life. To finish up, I want to give a little visual that hopefully you won't soon forget. If you think about underneath the cross, they were huddled up and they were scared to death. If you don't know Jesus, this is the only option you have. If you think about the people that that celebrate a full cross, Jesus still hanging, that don't celebrate the resurrection, they think, Jesus, yep, but also my works. You have plenty to fear. Are you living here in fear? Or you think about then the resurrection. There's an empty tomb. We are in light of this resurrected Christ. It's game on, man. You You are locked in. You are focused on Jesus. You're no longer in fear. You are focused on Jesus, and you're bringing other people along with you. Or you hear by this door and you realize it's game time. Church League softballers, appreciate you. I know you, you know what this means. It's go time. It's business. It's time. It's battle royale. But there's this time in these games at times when, you know what? It's, it's a crazy battle. And you realize, I don't, I don't know, but I think, I think it's time to go. It's time to do it. And you get the rally caps on. And, and you realize he's coming back. 
He says, I will return. There is a second coming of Christ. He promises to come back. Lord, come quickly. And we burst through these doors and we are ready to tell the world and say, it ain't about me. It's about Jesus. Would we have that kind of momentum and that kind of rally to call people out of fear, to focus on Jesus, to a ferocity with the gospel and go finish the course that God calls you to? Would that describe us? And would that describe First Street Bible Church? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for saving my life. I'm just a nobody. But I pray that I would tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. Would we open our mouths and just scatter the seed and trust you with the results? We can't save anybody but you. Because of your resurrection, you can. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, would you call them to yourself today? Would you call us to boldness for your glory's sake? In Jesus' name. Everybody said?